This morning, but anyway, the post office used to be a publicly owned company. So it used right. to be one of the state-owned industries and then what that we happened? were proud of. Well, then it got sold off, didn't it? it? Used to be part of Royal Mail, but they split the two up, and then they got rid of the post office, and then they're trying to get rid of Royal Mail right now. But anyway, <laughs> it's not totally an aside because today we're going to be talking about values. I'll just get it out there. Yeah, I like that. Just introduce the theme. And I've picked this theme in response to last week's theme, I suppose. We did have a bit of a fetish about last week's show. Yeah, I listened to it three or four times. If you haven't listened to Influences yet, strongly recommend it. Don't want to have to, don't want to try to influence you too much. But I was a big old fan of Influences. And I listened to it last night for the first time. I did enjoy it. It did tickle you, I think, on the train back. I know. We were coming back from Edinburgh because we had an Ellie and Oliver show works night out last <laughs> night. We went to Edinburgh. I kind of feel a bit embarrassed saying, but we went to this uh, School of Life road show sort of thing. Book tour, shall we it's call it? It's kind of a book tour, but what does it say on the front of that thing? It says Fast and Furious. It's an evening of Fast and Furious Enlightenment. Yeah, it was quite inspiring. It I was inspiring. It was kind of like going to a motivational speaker, though. You felt like if you were in the audience, then therefore you were a loser. <laughs> and <laughs> you had to try and acquire all this knowledge to make your life better, because your life was obviously a disaster, and that's why you went there. But anyway, back to values. I guess I've been, I've been, I think I've been a bit. If this doesn't sound horrible, overstimulated this week. Oh. <laughs> Intellectually, of course, because I've been to a lot of films. Well, I normally watch two films a week at the GFT anyway, but this week I watched four because I went on Sunday night and watched two films, and then I went again and watched two films. But two of three of them happened to be quite political. And um, I came back on, was it Sunday night? When, on, there was one night when you were very tizzy. emotionally charged. <laughs> I was in quite a tizzy. I can't remember. So basically, I'd gone and watched this uh, film set in Bolivia um, in 2000 where the government tried to privatise the water system. And it was you know, the people resisted and eventually it was kind of overthrown. But this idea that something as necessary and to every human to every to life as water could be could be sold was quite terrifying. And then I heard a rumour that they were trying to do that to Scottish water, so I started to panic that what was I doing messing around playing roller derby when really Somebody, we should all be like out on the streets rioting because if they're trying to privatise our water system like they have done in England, then that's a terrible, terrible thing. So I guess I felt very guilty. And one of the other reasons I felt guilty is because 
I'd been doing a lot of financial business this week. Because <laughs> it was being the end of the um, tax year and stuff. I did my tax return. And, and then I have to like renew my mortgage. So I was researching interest rates and stuff like that. And I just thought that, that was quite... Those two opposing contradictory um, parts of my life made me question what my values are, I suppose. So I think that today's show, because last week's show, you posed me, posed me quite a theoretical <laughs> question that we, we attempted to answer by the end of the show, and we concluded. So mine's, mine's not... Well, it's quite an open question. It's just really by the end of the show. You might not know what your values are now, but we're going to discuss it. And we're going to discuss what that word means. And hopefully by the end of the show... Every listener will know what their values is. Well, I promise. Yeah, but also so. you. A good method of trying to determine them, I think, is we should, be, we should be looking to try and find out ways to find out. Because actually when you asked me and when we spoke about the idea of talking about values, I've spent the last couple of days in a slight depression because I suddenly thought... I don't know. I can't instantly say to you what my values are. Mm. And that made me think, I'm a 27-year-old man that can't... Well, being a man's got nothing to do with it, but I've lived on this planet for 27 years and I can't instantly reel off to you what, what I value. Yeah. And um, that did panic me because obviously I, I spend quite a lot of time <laughs> thinking about maybe that I'm a bit too frivolous and that I should be knuckling down a little bit more, or at least trying to have a plan about what my values are and then how I plan to execute them as a way as a way of um, kind of functioning in the world, as a way of having something to offer to the world, but also having some kind of meaning, because, I mean, I suppose meaning crops up quite a lot in these discussions. But then I remembered that actually last year, yeah, which relates slightly to the school of life that we went to yesterday, Last year, I spent a lot of time thinking about how to live the good life and looking at the history of the good life. And, and one of the first things that came up when, we were, when I was looking at the Greeks yeah. uh, was the idea of virtues and the virtues that were most prized. And I suppose that, the, the, you know, that those have uh, existed in different cultures, different virtues over time. And then I thought, well, values, what's the difference between values and virtues? And although I suppose we could say that virtues are personal as well, well I, uh, the way that I'd like to think about it at the moment is that virtues are perhaps more like wider, cultural, um, appreciated um, type of values. And then values themselves are slightly more kind of concepts of personal worth mm. and maybe, uh, maybe also things that you hope to achieve because once I got down to thinking about what I did value... What I really noticed was actually the discrepancy between what I think that I value most and then all the things that happen in my daily life that actually just always get in the way of me really achieving those things that I prize the most. And I also think that the best way to think about what my values were were the things that made me feel um, this kind of feeling in my stomach of a sort of like butterflies when you're really excited and you feel like really engaged with something, but also just this real surge of happiness. But often what happens when I feel that is kind of straight away afterwards I do something to distract it or to stop it from continuing. So I think there is like, a, I mean, and maybe everyone experiences this as well, like just always trying to sabotage their attempt to follow their values. 
So might you give us a clue as to what any of them might be? Yeah, I do. I do have two ideas about what I was... Because the, once I started to think about the things that made me feel most... I guess, I don't know whether it's... I can't describe the feeling, but I wonder if you know what it is. You know, you just suddenly feel so excited. You feel a bit warm in your stomach, like really uh, just excitable. And I guess I want to say like alive, but that just seems too abstract to um, sum up on. But I suppose the two things that I... They make me feel like nothing else makes me feel. And one of them is synthesizing information and Mm. having ideas... And the other is communicating with people, but in a way that I feel is very accurate. Like I, I've spoken about this in the sh- in uh, in previous shows. When you say something, and you really know that what you've said is directly what you wanted to say, and you haven't, you're not playing some kind of game. You're not, you know, you're just communicating with a person. And actually, that's something that came up in School of Life yesterday. You know, when Philippa Perry, who uh, I'm a big fan of, I'm sure mm-hmm. you were as well, um, talked about these different versions of how we communicate. And the one yeah. that she talked about was the II, uh, the, I, uh, the IU was my favourite, which is like trying to communicate and actually think about the fact that you're talking to a human being and that you're trying to have a dialogue and think about what that human being is thinking at the same time. Because that's something that I s- neglect to do so much, but when I do do it, I feel the reward of it inside myself and not just for any other reason. Yeah. Hmm. I think we need to work on these values a bit. I mean, I I think that... Because... What do I think? They're quite quite self-contained. No, let me... I knew you were going to say that, but let me talk to you about the second value, the communication one. I was thinking, I was trying to find a, a philosophical example mm. that might make it seem more um, broader. And so I was thinking about Jürgen Habermas. Yeah. And um, I was thinking about his concept of undistorted communication, which he would call an ideal. But the three features of undistorted communication are symmetry, which is when you're speaking in a situation where everyone has the equal chance to talk and listen. Right. The second one is sincerity, where everyone discloses what they believe to be true. And the third is normativity, where everyone attempts to say what they think is right morally. Right. And so, I mean, I think that he, he acknowledges this as an ideal, and it's not really possible, but there's this quote, which I really like, that says, in the process of enlightenment, there can only be participants. And so actually, I think that having these forms of communication that I'm talking about and and choosing that as a value is actually a very um, socially conscious value. Well, I do agree. And I, I mean, one of the films that I watched, I do agree that communication is really important. Actually, what we all need, really, is to spend more time, like, getting to know each other <laughs> and loving each other rather than being isolated and hating each other. And because one of the films I watched was this one called The Four Horsemen, which is a film about economics. It's basically about how the system of capitalism is so fucked up and um, how... Oh, apologies for that there. Quite outrageous. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just le- trying to loosen up a little bit. I'm actually really stressed about the internet connection. It's Are really, you? Yeah, well, we're doing all right for now. Okay. We're doing okay for now. I'm sorry. Um, but what I wanted to say is one of the points that's made in that film 
is that well and it's you know it comes up over and over and over and over again is that a lot of well consumerism you know what we what we we think we need and what we actually need are completely different things mm-hmm. and that what we actually need as human beings and what we actually want as human beings is affection this was one of the things that came up in the film um and what really makes us happy is not money and it's not wealth but it's our relationships with other people and this is something that philippa perry talked about shout uh, out big shout out to <laughs> philippa uh-huh. perry talked about last night and everyone well. else. and it's it's obvious, but we get blinded. We're blinded by consumerism because so much money is spent on advertising to distract us. And there's some advertising on this show. I'm sorry, a bit of product placement. But it's so simple, but we're continually bombarded with propaganda to try to twist our values. I think the idea of continuous bombardment is very interesting in relation to developing fr- better friendships, better relationships with people. Because actually, what I was thinking... I'm sorry that I keep referring to last night, but what I thought the most, because, you know, we were having a discussion anyway on the way home about positive psychology and the implications, like, why that's allowed to be popular now or why that's become a way of talking. So, and and whether, like, there's slightly something a bit sinister about it at the same time, like, as if it's some kind of regime to make people forget about worrying about other things and just yeah. concentrate on But the the most subversive thing that i think cropped up last night yeah. and does crop up in a lot of um things that i read at the moment is to do with the idea of time right. because it seemed like the majority of people last night were actually asking how we want to spend our time and what is like um kind of how how to spend that time yeah and and all of these things like undistorted communication or when I was saying synthesizing information like deep thinking, what they really require is for us to stop everything else and to give time to those things. And actually, the, the system of capitalism like doesn't really allow for time. I mean, I'm saying that blind because I haven't read Capital, but you know, there just isn't time to pause and time to stop. And that's what you need to communicate effectively with someone is to stop thinking about all the other things that are in the context of that communication and actually just purely like freeze and just think about the interaction that you're having if you want to really because if you think about last week when we had our meeting like and we sat down to have the meeting and you were really restless you wanted to get away and we're like come on come on what's it you want to say to me and it's like well i just want to make time to allow a conversation to happen yeah but i think that actually there was a hidden agenda that wasn't actually my restlessness wasn't to do with my eagerness to get on with something else it was more to do with the fear of the conversation and i just wanted (laughs) more that was more about pulling a plaster off quickly (laughs) now i'm i'm worried that you wanted to do an introduction to a song didn't you okay well i think we should play the song and hopefully while the song's playing we can check that the internet is working looks pretty good okay um so a long time ago we talked about playing whitney houston in honor in honor of her short life yeah which um yeah i can't quite remember when she died actually was it february or was it I can't remember now. I could look it up on Wikipedia, but I mean, basically, uh, all we need to know is that she. R.I.P. Whitney. R.I.P. Whitney. 
And uh, anyway, this song, when I was thinking about values, actually I looked up values in the dictionary, as you do when you're preparing for an Alan Oliver show. <laughs> and it's interesting because value, singular, nearly all the definitions refer to economic value. Mm-hmm. But values, plural, it's only when you put the plural on the end that it refers to one's principles, priorities and standards. I thought it was quite interesting. But anyway, this song that Whitney did, which I think is one of her last singles, is called... Well, the lyric is like, you make me feel like a million-dollar bill. And I just think, anyway, I'm going to play it, and then we can have a little critique of what we think Whitney means by this (laughs) afterwards. Enjoy.
so my name's Oliver Braid and we just listened to a song choice that I'd like to say was by Ellie Harrison <laughs> and that was Whitney Houston with I, I imagine it's called Million Dollar Bill or something I it don't is. know but I would like to say the thing is about Whitney Houston you know when she died I actually just felt really annoyed with her and not even because I really like Whitney that much but I just I just really felt like a combination of sadness and like oh really like you idiot could you not have just sorted stuff out i know it's tricky i know that i'm, oh, I'm worried that they? this is going to end up in a kind of but we didn't play it for for that reason no we, we played, played to discuss critique this sad idea of needing to feel like a million or well the comparison with feeling positive to feeling as if you've got a lot of money because i want to um exactly i want to uh read out this quote which i think is from voltaire um, which was actually in the film The Four Horsemen, which I watched last week. Um, I wasn't reading any Voltaire. I think it was Voltaire. Voltaire, another rich person who's got a lot to say about. Uh, <laughs> I oh. don't. Oh, what? What are you, <laughs> you suggesting? Um, uh, so, Voltaire says that all paper money eventually returns to its inherent value. Zero. Because essentially, a million dollar bill. Is just a piece of paper. Yeah, sure. And that's what Whitney hasn't grasped. I know. It's just so she's just saying, you make me feel like a piece of paper. <laughs> I mean, that is what she's saying. That is what she's saying. You make me feel like a piece of paper that has some kind of culturally, temporary, culturally ascribed worth or oh. value, shall exactly. we say. That's what Whitney's saying. And I think that... Um, What's interesting with what's going on with the Euro crisis, I know you love to talk about <laughs> the Euro crisis, one of your favourite topics, is that essentially all of that money that has value, especially in Greek bank accounts and what they're worried about, you know, overnight that could just disappear. It could happen here as well, and it almost did with the bank runs. Well, it would just become paper. Well, it would just become worthless. Like, and that's why the government bailed out the banks is because they knew that if that happened to every single person's account that it just all of the money in it became completely worthless overnight there'd be mm -hmm. a revolution and the bankers you know people would be at the house of parliament smashing the place down the bankers knew that the politicians would want to avoid that eventuality at all costs so being rational um evil <laughs> thinkers that they are, the bankers, they knew because it was a certainty that the government would bail them out, that they could bet on that and be as risky as possible with the guarantee that they'd get their social bailout because people call, talk, talk about that as uh, the ultimate state socialism is the handing over of loads of the people's money into like a national system. But it's interesting... Uh, but with this in mind, this idea that actually everything could just turn to paper, I mean, do we really think, because I know that you're a big fan of uh, being very wise about money and considering money, and obviously I'm quite opposite. Yeah. I'm quite frivolous with my money. But I use, one of my friends, one of my good friends, Sally Turbot, she never listens to the radio show, so it doesn't really matter if I shout her out or not, but I will oh. do, because she just got engaged. Congratulations. Oh. Um, she always used to just refer to money as pleasure tokens. Mm. I don't know if she still does. And that is very much like, and you know, she's living a charmed life. She's been in a relationship for 10 years. They just got engaged. They lived together. She always seems to be having a super fun time. 
And that's because really, you know, and th- I, sp- I spoke to her boyfriend this week and he was saying like, well, yeah, last week we went absolutely wild, stayed in a hotel and did loads of things that I can't mention. But this week we're living on rice and beans. Yeah. But we know that th- the week after we'll get paid again and it'll be okay. And because actually th- that kind of stuff, like having enough money to survive is fairly irrelevant i guess because you just think there's always a way through we just need well this is all you need is enough to human beings will survive that's what they do well i don't know whether they'll survive forever but one of the things that this film which i do keep going about i'm so sorry but there's so much in it i really recommend anyone to watch it but one of the things they say is why things have got so bad we've allowed them to get so bad and people the other side of the world who are at the brunt of like the the global system who are really really suffering as a result of the west's like excessive consumerism the reason they've allowed it or that it's got to this extent is because human beings do have their program to survive in any Mm -hmm. conditions so they have just adapted to surviving in worse and worse and worse conditions and that's allowed us to have more and more and more extravagant lifestyles but i think if anything like this week i've been talking to a lot of people about learning more about foraging Even though actually then I spoke to someone and we were talking about what kind of middle class thing it is to do the idea of... But actually, I do think it's very interesting, like, learning how to do stuff, you know, that means you don't have to rely on the money, not to do it now while you've got money, but just in case there is a situation where suddenly it's all gone. But that's what I'm all about, the thrifty lifestyle, but then I... You know, I I worry that I'm, maybe I'm just thrifty because I'm actually an evil capitalist and I want to well, accumulate that money. I think we've that confirmed money. that that is the truth. But that's your discrepancy between achieving a value that you admire and the things that enjoy. Because I think that that is the nature of a value, that there's always something... It's like a constant battle. Because and that's what, what makes it worthy of gaining. Well, it is a constant battle because one of the things that upset me so much about this film about the privatisation of the water is because obviously I run the campaign to bring back British Rail, which stands, you know, sticks up for the nationalisation of public transport, the national ownership of public transport. But I was reading in the Socialist Sunday School pamphlet, just quickly, because mm-hmm. <laughs> we're getting to the end. This, everything sort of clicked in and out of focus this week and that maybe that's what was so distressing but the moments when it clicked into focus when I read this and it's just defining what socialism is because socialism obviously is such a dirty word these days um, but how's this for a value? Socialism means the common ownership and control of those things we all need to live happily and well it basically means the things that we need to live happily and well, the food, the water, mm. the shelter. But does it at any point specify what those things are, the things that we need to live well? Because it does that seems to be the flaw of the quote. Well, it doesn't. I haven't got the list of the things. But you can imagine, can't you? Can't you imagine? And, but the thing I is... I don't know, because e- I guess each regime would have a different list of things, depending on what they wanted people to think. Well, maybe that's what... I should have done this earlier in the show, and then we could have worked out what those are, because those would be values. But for me... The value is not putting a price tag on everything and saying, well, water, we all need water, mm. otherwise we're not going to be able to live. Let's not have a price tag on it. Let's just make it freely available so that we're not going to, like, die of drought. Yeah. Same well, with food. I mean, there'd be an argument for food being freely available. Uh, well, no, I mean, there would be. There would be. It would just depend on the quality of the food, I guess. And and because if the, the problem with it is if you strip it back to being that basic 
and you say, well, let's stop producing any luxury food and let's all just go back to eating grain. But so that's a, but that is a problem because actually that's that sounds like some kind of horrible communist nightmare. But we're talking about our communist system. Anyway, we've got to move on. But I'd say beans okay, and rice. We really have got to move on. Beans I'd and say rice. peas and rice is all right. Beans and rice would be my favourite thing to now, eat. No. Okay, so I'm going to have to go. We've already run over. But um, I, I suppose I just really wanted to say that actually when we're talking about attaching a, a price tag to things like... And when I was talking before about spending very frivolously, one of the things that I really like spending frivolously on, and I just do not consider it, or I just go for it, is just spending money on my friends when I go to see them, just as a little offering, just to kick the evening off, so that then we can get in and having a nice time. And two of the people that I see most regularly, that I do, like, well, both of us, both parties, often buy food for one another and cook for each other, and we enjoy nice meals together, uh, are my friends Denise and Tom. And it was also Tom's birthday this week, so happy birthday. But the reason I want to point them out, firstly, is because they started listening to the show really recently, and I think that that's really nice of them to give up their time to do that. Yeah. But I also think that they got married last year, and they sent, to all their wedding guests, they sent a CD out of songs that they played at the wedding so people could remember it. And I think that that's a really lovely thing to do. And so this song that I'm going to play out on is a song from that CD that Tom made, and it's a song that just really reminds me of them. And when I listen to it sometimes on the way to work, I just feel really happy. And it's the Midas Touch remix by Boards of Canada. Everyone, have a really nice week. Uh, thanks for listening. Enjoy the sunshine. You say you're going through changes. Everything seems your life is up and down. And you say that you're looking for an answer. Everywhere you look, it seems it can't be found Like searching, trying to find a rainbow No one's ever found the treasure's told to be But if you're looking for a lover Everything you need, you can find right here in me I've got the money